With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 23 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast on NJ.com. We've done 22 of these things before the start of the regular season. Now, game one is in the books, and I think we have a lot to talk about today. Jordan's going to be with us in a second here. He's live from an airport somewhere uh, around the Dallas area. Jordan's going to hop on. Um, and we're going to talk about this game and everything that happened with the Giants and the Cowboys week one in Dallas at Sunday Night Football. And here's some sounds from the game last night. The Giants go down 27-26 to Dallas in excruciating fashion, a game uh, the Giants had, uh, and then basically gave away. My fault at the end of the game. nobody else to blame but me. The, uh, the decision to throw the ball there uh, on third down, was not a good decision, and it should have been a run, whether we scored or not. Uh, the clock would have at least given us uh, an opportunity to, to uh, take a few more seconds off. We wouldn't have had the the, uh, the points, but you know we could have we could have run run the ball. The clock would have run, run, run the lineup, take a timeout, kick the field goal. Would have taken at least another 40 seconds or so off the clock for that. So that was a bad decision on my part. Nobody else to blame but me. Yeah, I, I got to know that 100%. Got to know that. Got to know the circumstance and just do not, don't take a chance to take, take that sack and, and go on to the next uh, you know, hit or field goal and, and you know, leave, uh, you know, leave just a little bit of time left on the clock. All right, Jordan, welcome in here, bud. Down there in Dallas, you were covering this game. Uh, let's talk. Let's react. I mean, there's a lot to talk about here, but we have to we have to go backwards. We'll start at the end. Uh, Jordan, how are you, bud? Hey, what's up, Joe? How are we doing today? I'm doing well. I'm do- we're doing better than Giants fans are doing this morning because they're ripping their hair out right now after the Giants blow a lead. You know, have it basically to me, Jordan. They went down to Dallas and did everything to steal a game except actually finish it. In the last two minutes. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we have 22 games where, you know, we have 22 podcasts before this or 21, whatever it is. We have all enough information from that last minute to fill all 22 right now. That's basically what happened there. The Giants were in position to win a game, steal a game. They, they, they probably weren't the better team. They probably got outplayed most of the game. They made some huge plays on defense. They got some big turnovers that really accounted for most of their points with 17 of the 26 points came essentially from the defense and not technically because, you know, Tremaine McBride on his interception was knocked out at the one-yard line, but the defense produced 17 points. They produced three 
turnovers. All right? They win the, the turnover margin by three, and they still lose to the Dallas Cowboys, and part of it is because of that inexplicable third-down play uh, where, you know, blame all around. I don't know why they're calling that play. should definitely run it there. Um, but even more than that, if you do call a pass play, you think you're going to get it, it's either you have it or you don't. There was a timeout on a play before. They had a time to huddle together. Eli, Tom Coughlin, and Ben McAdoo were talking before that play. I don't know how it's not said. Either you have it or you fall to the ground. You did not throw the ball out of the end zone. They have no timeouts. The ref went on his microphone throughout the whole stadium and said, the Cowboys have used their third and final timeout. There should be no Nobody should be confused. Every offensive lineman, I talked to three of the five starters after the game last night, they said they all knew that there was no timeouts. Everybody was aware of the situation. The quarterback just must have had brain freeze, had one of those spots. I mean, yes, the coaches didn't put him in a great spot by by putting him out there. He gets gets out on the outside. He starts to get under pressure, maybe panics a little bit. But, hey, you know, 12th year in the league, Eli Manning just fall to the ground. Simple. Fall to the ground. I agree, Jordan. I mean, to me, to me, I mean, you can go back and forth. Eli Coughlin, McAdoo, and, and everyone seemed to take the blame for themselves. Coughlin after the game, and Eli. They but, all deserve some of it. They, let's right. be honest. They all deserve some of it. They do. But to me, I'm with you. Uh, to me, Eli has to get down there and not throw an incomplete pass because, I mean, he's got the freedom here. I would think after 12 years in the league, he's been. I mean, been around forever. They've always trusted him with audibles in the line of scrimmage. To me, I would think Eli has the freedom to see what's happening there and to get out of it or to just take a sack, take take the loss, kick the field goal, and let that – I mean, they would have probably knocked, what, 40, 45 more seconds off the clock after, you know, letting the clock run down, calling their own timeout, kick the field goal, kick off. I mean, it would have changed everything in that last minute. There would have been under a minute remaining in the game, uh, and, you know, the, the Cowboys would have – it would have been a lot harder to get downfield. I know they did swing downfield really quickly – and I'm not so sure the Giants would have been able to stop him regardless how much time is. But still, I mean, it totally changed the, the, the situation. It gave them plenty of time instead of making them short on time. And, and you know, uh, it's just totally inexplicable. And, and now the rest of the, the team has to sit there and go home and sleep on that after they know that the quarterback and, and coaches just blew it so badly. It, it, that's a tough one to swallow. Uh We'll see how strong this team is. I, I, I'm not, we're going to find out a lot about this team in the coming weeks, especially this week coming up, and see where they can go after this. Because, look, they have their problems, that's for sure. Uh, you know, that defense, they may not play to win in this game, but you have to wonder whether there's that defense is going to be able to hold up. They just got up too many yards. Just, teams, the, the Cowboys were going up and down the field, left and right, and it makes you worry going forward that, look, they got those turnovers that they're looking for, and they still might not be able, and they still couldn't win. You, you got to be with the Giants. This, this loss just is, it doesn't sit well. This is a tough, tough loss to swallow. And that is because it's a game that you know we went into this game thinking it was a very difficult spot for the Giants to win. And you're talking about how the Cowboys move the ball up and down the field. You're right, 436 yards for Dallas. I mean, the Giants had a chance to steal a game they probably shouldn't have been in position to win anyway. But they were there, and you don't get these these games back. To go back to that last drive, because we were talking about the last play, the third down, you know, that the clock management to me, the problem started earlier in that drive when there was that play where the referee's trying to get the clock reset to 40 seconds, and he's tr- Vinovich is trying and trying and trying to 
to get that clock reset to 40 seconds. He finally gets it, and they wind the clock, meaning the clock starts again. He gave the Giants a fresh play clock with about two and a half, a little more than two and a half minutes to go. And for some reason there, Jordan, Eli snapped it at about 17 or 18 seconds left on the clock. They didn't bleed it down there either. So it's almost like that whole drive. There was a couple times in the drive they did that. They snapped at like 10 or 11. Yeah, I just really I, – I, you don't even know how to explain it. Nobody would say anything. They just said, my fault, my fault, my fault. But you really don't know what they were thinking. Uh, you just, you're just left to shake your head and say, wow, what the heck were they thinking in, the, in those last two minutes there? Last three minutes, whatever, four minutes. And uh, you're, you're pretty much left without an answer. You are. And now the Giants are left at 0-1 here. Dallas goes to 1-0. Um, you know, this, this loss is going to linger. And like you said, we're going to find out about this team uh, as we move on here. James Kratz, our other Giants beat reporter, he's somewhere in Dallas trying to get himself home as well. He had yeah, a piece. He's, some, he's somewhere like you know, 50,000 feet in the air. He's somewhere. We're, we'll catch up with him soon. But he had a piece on NJ.com uh, I saw this morning. We were doing this podcast on Monday morning reacting to the Giants' loss in Dallas. He had a piece wondering, you know, should the Giants have gone for a fourth down there after they missed on third? What were your thoughts on that? Because Coughlin was asked about it in the post game. I mean, the idea could have been you could have went for the jugular, gone up 10 and end the game. If you don't get it, you're up three. You pin the Cowboys on what, the five-yard line or so? Two, right down inside the five. It changes the end of that game. What did you think about that real, in real time? Yeah, I'm not going to second-guess it because at the real time I said I probably would have kicked the field goal too now. Uh, I also probably would have maybe decided to run the ball twice there, maybe third and fourth down if I was going to do that. Uh, so I just thought at that point if it was the Giants hadn't run the ball especially well all game. They did in that final drive, but they hadn't been able to run the ball that effectively most of the day. So I wouldn't have gone for it on fourth down because – as Tom Coughlin said, basically all they got to do is, I mean, the kicker was crushing every kickoff out of bounds. If, if he gets near midfield, he basically has a chance to tie the game just with a field goal. And, you know, there would be a decent amount of time. You know, there would have been a, a minute or so left. And, and to only go 40 yards in a minute, that's 40, 50 yards in a minute. That's very doable. So I'm not, I'm not going to say I would have gone for it. I understand the logic of going for it there because, hey, look, Worst case scenario, the only thing that changes is, look, if they score a touchdown, you're going to lose either way. But they have to go 99 yards, which is the maximum that you can have. So they would have to go further if you went for it and didn't make it, we're assuming. Uh, and the best they could do is, you know, the, the, you know, is that if they kick the field goal, which they wouldn't be able to kick a field goal if you, you, know, if you go up six, but if they kick a field goal and tie it, you, the game is still not over. You're still in it. You still have another chance. So the game still continues. But... Um, you know, that's the logic on it. I think with the Giants' defense and the way that it had played with the bend-no-break fashion and with the way that their offensive line had played throughout the game, I would have also kicked a field goal there and gone up by at least more than a field goal, taking, taking that out of the picture, uh, especially with Dan Bailey crushing the ball, so... I mean, for me, that was the right play. Joe, what about you? What would you have done? Yeah, I would have done the same thing. I mean, I, I understand the idea. And I'm aggressive. I'm always usually on the aggressive side. Me too. If you, I think here, I don't, I don't think that was a smart play. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I, I think if you go up six, like you're saying, that you force them to go the entire field, which they did, which Romo did, uh, with ease there. But I think you, you take the degree of difficulty and make it much more on the Cowboys. Uh, they did it, credit to them, uh, and they're 1-0 now, and the Giants are 0-1. You know, that last drive, Jordan, it was... But I, uh, Joe, well, of course, 
it's a lot different. I would have rather them go, you know, 80 yards to score a touchdown in 50 seconds instead of, you know, a minute 37 to score a touchdown. I mean, you're talking a 40-something second difference. I mean, that, that's basically what it was. Or, you know, they, they're, they're at the one-yard line, then they just have to go 40, 50 yards in, you know, if they play it correctly and ran the ball on third down and got stuffed. It would have been, and they ran it again on fourth down and they got stuffed. It would have been, you know, 55 seconds and having to go 45 yards to get into field goal range. So I, I think that's really a doable thing, 50, you know, 40, 50, 50 yards or so in about 50-something or so seconds just to get a field goal attempt. And I think with the way the Cowboys have been passing the ball underneath all game, that would have been no problem. It wouldn't have been. And you saw on the last drive there, Tony Romo had no problem going up and down the field there uh, and yeah. getting the Cowboys. 24, here's what it looked like. 24-16-13 incomplete, 8 touchdown. It was easy. It looked easy. That's how quickly he got the ball. It reminded me of the game they played last year, the Beckham catch game, where the last two minutes of the game, Romo takes them right down the field, moves the ball, the pass rush can't get near him, uh, and he just puts the ball where he has to in the end zone and wins the game. And this is becoming a theme here. Late in games against the Cowboys, the Giants just have no answer in these spots for Tony Romo. And yeah, I watched a little bit last night. I went back and watched that final drive. They did get pressure on the first couple of plays, but the guys were just so wide open underneath him. It was too easy. He was taking candy from a baby going against these linebackers and, and underneath with these, you know, they went two passes to Dunbar for 40 yards. You know, and I and thought they targeted Unga and Collins on that last drive. I mean, yeah, Unga it, was Unga, it was Unga and Jonathan Casillas, the other linebacker. In with the backs coming out of the back, and there was Dunbar yeah. making the plays. Yeah, I mean, you could see. I mean, those guys, Unga made some plays in this game. He, I thought he played pretty well for his first start, but they, 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 they knew where uh, to go. Play, he made a lot of plays downfield, in my opinion. There was no plays near the line of scrimmage. You know, it was always five or six yards downfield. And they knew where to go. They went right after him. They, they, they made an example of him uh, on the last drive of the game there. The whole game, Joe. They did it the whole game. It was from the start. Tony, where they scored their, they, they scored, you know, they drove down the field, but they had the ball for 10, 10 minutes in the opening drive. Uh, I know they settled for a field goal, but that was partly because, you know, they, they didn't help themselves yeah, to catch the ball. Yeah, it was a 10-27 drive to start the game. Yeah, but they were doing that the whole, the whole, to start the game, right from the start, underneath passes all day, quick hitters, easy, quick hitters, underneath running backs. It was, that, that's how the Cowboys attacked them. They really didn't go downfield very often. They didn't, uh, and that, you know, neither they team didn't really need did. To. They didn't need to. No, they didn't. When you can move the ball as efficiently as they were, um, you can keep dinking and dunking your way and making plays underneath. So you said a few minutes ago, Jordan, we're going to find out about this team. What was the atmosphere in that locker room? Because, you know, if you had just told me three days ago the Giants would lose 27-26 in Dallas, I would have nodded along and said, you know what, that's probably – you can't expect much more, and you couldn't expect much more than to be in it in the fourth quarter considering the way the summer went for them. But the way it ended, it obviously it changes things. What was the atmosphere in that locker room after the game? Oh, that was a down, a down locker room for first game. I mean, there were guys who were just demoralized. Justin P. Pugh used the the phrase "I'm sick." Uh, you know, Rashad Jennings was pretty much this almost despondent. Uh, you know, guys were really down. A couple guys didn't didn't really want to talk at all. Odell Beckham kind of jetted out of there real quick. Uh, it was it was about as down as you get for a season opener. So season opening loss. I mean, Rashad Jennings also made a comment. He said, you know, they told me not to score. You know, he he was so down and out of it, and didn't really expound on that too much. You're like, huh? They told you not to score? What are you talking about? You were gonna be up ten. Um, 
you know, it, so it wasn't wasn't like there was four seconds, you know, twenty seconds left. There was there was two minutes left. Get in the end zone. Uh, it's and then I went back and watched it. I mean, it's hard for me to even see what he's talking about. I mean, he's he was running the ball hard at the one yard line. His knees, legs were turning, trying to get in, with the, you know, in those sec, uh, first and second down runs. So I'm not quite sure exactly what he was referring to. I, 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 guys were, you know, Jeff Schwartz was just in such a daze. He he, he as well. Like he's like I, I knew how many timeouts were. I think I can't say anything for sure right now. They, they were in such a funk, like they couldn't believe what had happened. So yeah, well, they're like. They're like the fan base, I, I guess, as we start this week, um, because you know the reaction after that game, it, it, it felt like, and even I thought Coughlin in the post-game press conference, that didn't feel like a week one game, just the way everyone reacted. I, I guess it's just the way it ended and the way you're describing the locker room there, but it didn't feel like they just lost one game to start the season. It, it felt different than week one. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the coach goes into the locker room after the game and says, yeah, hey, I just blew you the game, you know, that... that as a player, how do you even take that? And the guys said, you know, Rashad Jennings made it clear, you know, that's on us. So the, the players play the game, not the coaches. So, uh, you know, a lot of guys took that route. And Zach Diossi took the, hey, it's everybody's fault. We do this as a team. Uh, Eli took the, hey, it's me route. You know, so uh, there, there's a lot of different ways to process it. But when you go into that locker room and you see everybody in the heart of their hearts knows that, Hey, they just botched that big time. Whoever it was, whoever they want to pin that blame on in their head, or uh, you know, coach, quarterback, offensive coordinator, they know when they go in that locker room. Hey, uh, you know, what the heck are they doing? That just that just probably cost us the game. Yeah, it was a systematic failure. Before we um, move on to the different aspects of this game and and kind of look at it from a, a different couple couple different angles here, the one thing I noticed, Jordan, you said you rewatched it uh, last night. I'm not saying we should defend Eli, and, and no one should, because he made a bad play there uh, at the end. But if I was trying to see what he saw by throwing the football, there did seem, and Collins were talked about on the broadcast, that maybe, who was the tight end on that route? Was it Fells or Donnell? Yeah, it was Fells. He got held up at the he line. He got held, so maybe he was looking for the call if he threw it, but he overthrew it. I mean, yeah, you don't, you just can't take that risk. He was, look, he got held up at the line of scrimmage. Uh, he probably got held the whole route. He never got out there. He never even got close to running the route. He was supposed to get out to the to the side towards the sideline. He basically never, you know, never even got towards the back of the end zone. Uh, and Eli was already rolled out at that point, and he just tossed away out of bounds. It was, it was that play was dead from the start, which should have made it easy, which is, which is why it should have been easy. And that's the part where you're just like, it, it baffles you even more. That's a play. When you call that play, it's either you have a guy wide open, wide open, like all by himself, where you make an easy lob pass, toss, catch, touchdown, or you automatically just flop to the ground. There should be no in-betweens there. If there's any doubt whatsoever, he should not throw the pass. He should not do anything. If there's any doubt, if he's covered at all, he should not throw it. And you know what? If you go and look at it, I, I guarantee it that he wasn't even close to getting open. There was no chance that he he didn't get. By the time Eli looked up, he was barely off the line of scrimmage because he was being held up that that much. So it should have been an easy easy play for Eli at that point. Say okay, slide down, flop down, whatever he's got to do. Next play, let's go. Clock run. Should have been, but it wasn't. Now the Giants are 0-1. Uh, Atlanta next Sunday as the Giants will have their home opener. Let's, but let's do this, Joe. You know what? Dallas actually gave them a gift, too, on that drive. 
That penalty by Jeremy Mincy, very stupid penalty. It was. And Unnecessary roughness. On Flowers, Flowers. Yeah, Flowers basically goaded him into it. And he gave him a first down with, with 2.25 remaining in the game inside the 20-yard the line. And the game should have been over at that point. Then Flowers followed it up with a legal formation penalty. Right, he did with a weird play where they didn't have a receiver on that line, you know, on that side of the line, so he was supposed to be off the line, um, yep. and he wasn't there. So, I mean, that last drive was just, uh, in every single way, it seemed like the Giants were gifted it, and they gave it right back, and uh, now they come home after, you know, it's funny, Jordan, because you look at the box score, and you were going through some of the numbers before and how easily the Cowboys moved the ball for most of the night. If you just removed yourself and didn't watch the game, you just saw the stats, you'd say, the better team won that game, and that's probably true. The better team did win that game, but they weren't supposed to. It's it's a weird way to look at it because the Giants should have won, but at the same time, they really shouldn't have. Yeah, I mean, if they didn't look, there's a lot of ifs, but the Cowboys actually they had a lot of misses too. I mean, they had some Giants did too, but big early drops. I mean, Des Bryant should have had a, a first down and a big third down inside the red zone, probably even a touchdown at that point with Des Bryant one on one. You know, at the five-yard line. So, uh, but the the Giants had their fair share too. I mean, they had a lot of drop passes, uh, a couple, you know, ones that were rule, you know, reviewed as potential fumbles, and uh, you know, it was a, it was a pretty crazy game from start to finish, if you think about it. But you mentioned something. I think we should t- touch on this for a second, Joe. You mentioned something the better team probably won. Well, we let let's take back take a step back and look at it now. How good are the Cowboys now? without Des Bryant for a while. Is this still a really good team? Where, What weapons does that team have now? When he wasn't on the field, what weapons does Tony Romo have to work with? No, he doesn't have many. I mean, he Agent has Jason Witten? Yeah, he has a security blanket, Jason Witten, who once he catches the ball, you know he's not getting any more yards. I mean, he's yeah, I mean, stationary. The running backs certainly, I mean, they did some damage in the pass game, I think, more. They were okay in the run game. There's certainly no DeMarco Murray there. I think that that's obvious. I think everybody knows that. Uh, and now, like you know, who, what do they have? Terrence Williams? He he couldn't even get open against J. Ron Hosley. He, that guy, he didn't look very good to me. It's an average receiver in the NFL. Uh, so they, they they're going to be, you know, they're not going to cruise here. They, they they could easily take a step back and be, you know, already considering the Giants should have won this game. They could already be, uh, you know, in the range of the Giants, if not maybe a step further back. I mean, I, I really wouldn't be surprised to see them struggle here in these next four, five, six weeks. I wouldn't either. They go to Philadelphia next week. I know they play the uh, New England Patriots in, with, by, before the end of September, early October. So, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked either, Jordan, if they struggle without this. Brian and... Yeah, those uh, are two tough games. I mean, you just named. It's not going to be right. easy. And they're now, with, like you said, they're without Des Bryant, so they, they, they stole a win in week one, and now they have to try yeah, to... Pick Gregory, he's already hurt, injured himself as well. He did, and that's, that's another big loss for them. So, I mean, this was... I agree with you. This was a very strange game. It was an entertaining game, but it was strange... Uh, you brought up a couple and minutes Greg ago. Greg Hardy's still out. We got to we got to mention that too. Right. He's in play and suspended. And he's not going to be playing for a little while either. So the two best pass rushers aren't going to be on the field for them uh, this coming week. You mentioned a couple minutes ago the, the missed opportunities and some drops there. There was a lot of chatter on social media last night in the midst of that game. Every time Preston Parker dropped a ball, I think there were three of them where I thought Parker should have had them to extend drives or get a first down. They were, they were pretty big yeah, one plays. Of them, one of them was a tough – one of them was a real tough diving catch. He completely laid out for it. But I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yep. So, yeah, he, there was. That, that, the one – I think that was one near one of the 5-10 yard line that was earlier in the game where he could have had it, but that was a tough diving catch. 
But there were two or three plays where you feel like Parker should have or could have made the play, didn't do it, and immediately everyone started saying, why didn't they keep James Jones, who was in camp with the Giants and had a big day for the Packers, um, back with Green Bay? Your thoughts, and I, I know you had been talking and you had been saying recently that James Jones wasn't a slot receiver. They needed a slot to fill in for Cruz until Cruz gets back here. Is that the reasoning? Because everyone, you know, it's, it's hard to look at it. You look at James Jones have a big day Sunday. Parker has dropped. It's easy to, to make that correlation, I think, for fans. Yeah, it's not the fact that, you know, if you kept James Jones, it was it was James Jones versus Jeremy Davis. That was the question for you, or whether they kept another receiver, James Jones versus a fourth running back. And James Jones doesn't play special teams, so it made it tough to keep James Jones, you know, because unless you want James Jones over Ruben Randall, because he plays on the outside. They don't want to have Odell Beckham play in the slot permanently. Uh, you know, they want to move him around and keep guys off him. So it, we're talking with Victor Cruz out. So their next option at the slot spot was... Preston Parker. Now, if he plays like he did last night, you don't want Preston Parker out there in that spot. You got to have somebody else. You got to have someone who's going to catch the ball and be reliable. And uh, they might need to look at Dwayne Harris. I think that's that's their next option at this point. I think that's an option, and they'll probably serious look seriously look into this week. Because again, Victor Cruz is now almost four weeks without running. Can you really get him back, even if he practices this week, and have him back ready for a game uh, in? six days when he hasn't done any running in, in almost four weeks and he's got the knee to worry about, that to me would be a foolish decision. So the likelihood is, again, you'll probably be without Victor Cruz and you're going to need to find something out in the slot. And Preston Parker certainly did not impress yesterday. But I will say this about Preston Parker. He had a game last year. I forget which game it was exactly. But he had a game last year where it was a total disaster. It might have been Indianapolis, I think. I think that's what it was. And he dropped a whole handful of passes. And he came back the next week. I think I mean, it might even have been in Seattle. And he had a great game. He actually played a really, really strong game. So I think they they like that about Preston Parker, that he he's able to bounce back. He's a guy who's come out of nowhere to make the team. He wasn't even supposed to make the roster. He's sort of like a survivor. So I think they like that about him, is that he's a battler, and they, they feel he'll come back and, and bounce back. So they might have that confidence, and they might look at it and say, look, he's just not good enough. We'll see this week. I think you have to at least look into the possibility of using Dwayne Harris more in that spot. I think so, too. And yeah, I mean, Jeremy are... Davis isn't a slot receiver, either. He's not a guy that I've seen play in the slot much, if at all. I think Giants fans at this point are just going to be hoping and waiting for the return of Victor Cruz. But like you said, who, you know, who knows when exactly that will be. You've got to worry there... about the knee. you got to worry about the knee off to all the inactivity, too. So now it's like, it's like he has two injuries. Right. I mean, he has to get back, and he has to get himself back in shape to get back out there. Um, and help this team. All right, let's let's take a look at um, some of the good, some of the bad, and everything else from this game as we you know kind of work our way backwards after what was just a debacle at the end for the New York Giants. For you, Jordan. Yeah, there um, was some good to take from it. Joe. remember they were they were in position to win this game on the road. Right, and that and Tom Coughlin talked about that. He said plenty of positive. I think was the wording he used to you guys in that post game last night. Yeah, I was asking him if they could take something from this, even though it was such a demoralizing loss. That this is sort of like the framework. Okay, we did enough. We know we could beat a good team on the road. Is this enough for us to move forward and have confidence that this team is going somewhere? Yeah, and I think there, I mean there are some positive. To me, the biggest positive probably was until the last drive, at least the bend but don't break defense. They made plays defensively, which I mean, if they're going to have a chance this year, they're going to have to do things like that because you could see it right now. 
they just don't have enough talent outside of the cornerback position. They just don't have much talent defensively, so they're going to have to be a playmaking defense and cause some turnovers. I, I thought that was that was obviously their biggest positive on defense last night for me, uh, just making plays and, and changing that game with turnovers. Yeah, and they made plays. you got to give them credit for that. I mean, there was uh, you know, the, the, the strip, two strips. But the strip by uh, McBride, and the other, the other one was a deflection uh, or a big hit by Merriweather that kind of just popped into his hand. So it was, it was kind of like a fumble, but I, I know it was technically called an interception. But it was essentially a fumble uh, forced by Brandon Merriweather. So, uh, yeah, they forced two fumbles essentially, even though it's called two interceptions. Maybe the, the other one was kind of fortunate in the fact that Romo threw it off Witten's back shoulder and it popped up in the air. But, uh yeah, they made plays. They scored points. The defense scored 17 points, really. They, you know, they McBride put them at the one-yard line, and all they had to do was put the ball in on the last one. They didn't do anything after the, the second the interception late in the first half. They just you know, went three plays and kicked the field goal. So the defense produced 17 points. Uh, look, the goal was for this defense just to get them from – they were bad last year – just to get to average, Okay. Make some make enough plays where the offense can go and win the game. The offense was the one that was actually the most ineffective of the three units by far throughout this game, in my opinion. So uh, defense, some positive. Offense, not quite as positive. Yeah, I agree with they didn't you. Throw the ball downfield. They got. They didn't take really any shots on offense. They didn't. It was it was odd. If you had told me before this game started that it would go the way it did with the defense and special teams outplaying the offense. I would have said that that would have probably been surprising, but that seems to be what happened there. And before we get to the offense, and that first drive, too, the drive where the Cowboys had it for over 10 minutes and got a field goal, the Giants had chances at two turnovers on that drive, too. There was a, a ball that went popped up in the air near the end zone, and there was the fumble they forced early in the drive. They couldn't recover it, but yeah, they were very opportunistic on defense and almost almost really came up with four interceptions or four turnovers. But, Jordan, you mentioned the offense. Only 289 yards of offense, and Odell Beckham Jr., Really, until that catch to give him the first down inside the five-yard line late in that game, didn't do anything. Yeah, they were rolling coverage his way for sure. Uh, you know, he had the drop early where he took a big hit, and then he basically disappeared for the end, rest of the first half, targeted twice. One catch for three yards in the first half. Then they came out in the start of the second half. They, they targeted him three times on the first drive in the second half, so you think, okay, here's, here we go. They're going to they're gonna really start pounding Odell Beckham and really riding Odell Beckham. And they kind of went away from him again until the final draft. So it's kind of curious. They, they, they kind of went away from him a little much. He had eight total targets in the game, five receptions. Uh, but, what, three of those were on the, uh, on the first drive of the second half and, what, two or three on the, on the final drive. The Giants, not the final drive technically because they did have a, you know, it's got the ball back with seven seconds up. But on, the, on their second to last drive, they you know got what, targeted two or three times. So between those two drives, it was like five or six of his eight you know, targets for the game. So the rest of the game, he, he really wasn't a big factor. The, the, you saw the Cowboys really were rolling their safety over in every play. There was a safety watching Odell Beckham. But uh, you got you got to find ways to get him the ball. That's Ben McIntyre's job here. It is, and they didn't do it enough last night. You look at the box score. I mean, outside of Beckham, I think the leading receiver was Shane Vereen coming out of the backfield, then Daniel yep. Fells. Uh, yeah, Ruben Randall, Ruben Randall, total non-factor. He was, I was about to say, he was invisible last night, and that's the type of game where no crews and they're rolling coverage toward Beckham. You know, if Ruben Randall's going to be there and be on this team, he's got to make plays in a game like that. It's, it's set up for him. 
Yeah, three catches, 23 yards. I just you look. I don't see the explosion out of him. I just don't see an explosive player out of him. His skill is throw the ball downfield and let him go up and make plays. Uh, you know, in the air. That's his skill. And we didn't see them use that. You know, they didn't use that skill. So when if they're not going to do that, he's just a very average receiver at best. And he was last night. He was actually probably below average because he didn't really make any plays for them. Um, he, was, he was just there. He was just there. That's, that's it. He was just a guy, just on the field for them, and uh, did, was not a factor in the game. The other yeah, thing, three, I guess, three, catch, three catches, twenty-three yards. Yeah, that's to me. It's it's a non-factor in a game like that. How about the offensive line last night? I thought Richburg. You know, they talked all summer long about how he's more of a natural center, and they expected more out of him at center than he was at guard. I thought he was. Yeah. yeah, they did. I thought he was good last. Night. I thought the offensive line, for all the worry coming into the summer. I thought if you look at it one year out, you know, from last year opening day to this year opening day, they still have room to grow, but there was, it, it wasn't bad last night, that offensive Yeah, they had, they had one drive that was a total disaster. Uh, Jeff Schwartz, I believe, let up a sack. Uh, yeah, they let up a, another pressure, took a big hit. Um, you know, Eli, I think it was on third down on that drive. Uh, I think it was in the second, second or third quarter. It all sort of, you know, goes together at this point. But... Yeah, overall, I thought they were pretty decent. Um, Eric Flowers was his up and down, kind of what you expect. You know, he's a rookie playing left tackle. He's going to struggle a little bit as a pass protector. He's going to thrive as a run blocker. I think that's exactly what we saw last night. That's exactly what we expected. It's, at least that's what you should expect. I mean, if you go and watch every snap he took, he struggled in, in um, pass protection situations. But, look, that's just what they're going to have to deal with here, him as a rookie. There's going to be ups and downs in that regard. So... Uh, you know, you got to like what you saw from Justin Pugh. I saw a lot of feistiness, a lot of uh, really trying to work to that second level from him. Uh, Richburg, like you said, strong game. Thought he played really well. Uh, and give credit to uh, Marshall Newhouse. Actually played a decent game. You didn't, you didn't hear much about Marshall Newhouse. which means, hey, you know what? He did a pretty good job as a pass protector. And I thought he did. So. Yeah. Yeah, I yep. didn't hear his name really all night, and that's that's what you're saying there. If you don't hear the guy's name on the offensive line, they're usually doing a pretty good job. Yeah, thumbs up to him. I mean, he got a. I, the, I have to go and watch every snap to really know how a lineman played, but I didn't see many, if any, pressures given up by him, and he had a you know uh, a positive pass blocking grade by Pro Football Focus. So I'm thinking he probably played pretty well. I think so too. And the wasn't other, good, it wasn't quite as good against the run, but. But for all things considered, considering he's a depth guy, I mean, that's, that's not bad. Um, yeah. We were talking positives here as we try to, you know, bring them out as Tom Coughlin talked about in the postgame last night. The one thing you could just tell right away, and it's not even just because he returned a fumble for a touchdown, the strength of the Giants' defense, as it is right now, has to be those two corners. We talked yeah, about them all summer think, long. I was going to say that before. They played well last night. Cromartie and uh, Prince of Mookamore, it seemed like they were always in position. They made plays. Obviously, the touchdown from DRC and... Uh, we could also get into here the the pass interference call on Dominic Rogers Cromartie, which yeah. was just was ridiculous. Very ridiculous. It was. I, I thought it was a, bad, a really bad call. Four points. It was a call. It was a four point play right there. So yeah, he definitely. I think they called a little tug at his arm underneath before they even got to the end zone. But even that uh, was very ticky tacky. I don't think that that should not have warranted a flag. Uh, bad call. I think everybody everybody saw that after the fact that that just was a, a terrible call and cost the Giants four points. But this is football. These kind of calls happen left and right. There's bad calls in every game. And 
all the time. So you, you just kind of have to suck it up, unfortunately. You do. It was a bad spot for it to happen. But, Go ahead. But that happens. You're right. I mean, it happens in every game, and it just feels like it's impossible to play defensive back in the NFL. I mean, everything feels like a flag. If you touch him at all, yeah. they're probably going to throw that flag. But let's be honest. Like you said, that is the strength of this team. They have those two guys. Look, they had Des Bryant. When Des Bryant was on the field, he was on and off because of first dehydration and because of his ankle injury. But when he's on the field, the Giants don't have to move everybody around. They have two guys. They just played sides for the most part with the two guys. You know, DRC on one side, Prince on the other side. Go do your job. And you saw both of them. They both had success. You know, and uh, that's the strength of this team right now. When the, as long as those two are healthy, they have some pretty good cornerbacks. And uh, Prince played really well also. His tackling is dynamite. Uh, really, that's what separates and makes him a really good player. Is uh, he's he's just able to, you know, when when he gets his hands on a guy, that guy's coming down. So the the yards after catch on Prince is is definitely limited. Uh, any most of the receptions that they gave up, they gave a bunch of receptions those two guys, but they were all short and underneath, and they both made the tackles. The RC had a big hit in the first quarter, I believe it was, and uh, so you got you got to be happy with that, and that that's sort of what this defense has to be built around is the fact that hey, you got two good cornerbacks. And a real pesky guy at that at the nickel, nickel spot in Tremaine McBride, who, when he's on the field, always just seems to make plays. You know, he's like a survivor. He just gets out there and does something, and does something positive. Always seems like it. So No, I agree. He, ever, ever since I've been here, he's, he's been a quality player. So those three guys together got to build a defense around it. Now they have to figure out a way to stop the underneath passes, which has been a multi-year problem now. It has. It always seems to be a problem with them. And, um, yeah, can't stop the tight ends. Cannot. And Jason Witten's been doing it to them for over a decade. Eight catches, uh, nine targets, 60 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean... Too easy. You know, yeah. Yeah, it's just too easy. Eight and nine is just way too high. Tony Romo completed 36 of 45. His passes are just, you know... Uh, they just... Way too, way too effective for Tony Romo. Way too easy. And, uh, you know, Jordan... Uh, before we wrap up and, and give our final thoughts here on, on what was week one and a heartbreaking loss for the Giants, there's a lot of panic, I think, right now among Giants fans about the pass rush and the lack of it. In your mind, scale of 1 to 10, based on week one, how worried should Giants fans be? 10, sound the panic alarm. 1, you know, just pump the brakes. Because it, to me, it's twofold. They don't have great pass rushes, obviously, without JPP. Right. But they also were going up against a tremendous offensive line last night, which I think made it look even worse than it was. But I think Romo wasn't touched the first 27 times he dropped back last night. He wasn't even touched. He wasn't sacked at all, but he wasn't touched for 27 dropbacks. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a problem. I would say seven. I'm not going to go ten because there was a couple reasons for that you didn't see it for a while. A lot of it was the fact that they were getting the ball out really quickly and going with these short, quick hitters early in the game, and pretty much for most of the game. So that also neutralizes the pass rush. Also, Demontre Moore, who's, in my mind, probably their best pass rusher, Robert Ayers is probably their best, you know, defensive end overall. But uh, Demontre Moore only played 19 snaps. And part of the reason for that was Dallas is a running team, and the Giants were were obviously concerned and for good reason concerned about the Dallas running attack. So they had to play big in their minds. So they weren't willing to go into their pressure package constantly and throw Demontre Moore out on the field. It's part of the reason why they had third-round pick Odigizua inactive. Uh, you know, they, so 
their pass rush package was not used as much as I'm going to say it probably will be moving forward. So there's a little reason for optimism. Uh, I think in order for this pass rush to be good, you're going to have to see Devontae Moore play a, a way bigger percentage than 27% of the snaps. So we'll see that a little bit more going forward. But aside from that, there's definitely cause for concern. There's no guy, look, no guy on this roster has ever had more more than seven sacks in a season, and that's not an accident. I know people complain uh, a little bit about Jason Pierre-Paul, who's sacks last year, they're hollow, he had 12 and a half, they were all against scrubs late in the season. You know what? No one on this roster, I don't care, you know, is capable of getting having 12 and a half sacks in a season, no matter who he's playing against. This is the NFL. So, you know, even though Jason Pierre-Paul, you can nitpick his sacks, he's a guy that's capable of doing that. And the guys that they have there now just aren't, they don't have guys really that are going to be 12 and a half sack guys. The only guy that I think has even double digit potential is probably Demontre Moore. So, uh, at least for right now, I don't always nowhere near that. He's, he's not a refined pass rusher at this point. So, uh, I'm not sure how much he'll be able to help in that regard. He does give them athleticism, though. So, I think we're going to see that a little bit moving forward as well, which should help. But still, enough to be concerned, which is why I gave it a seven. Not enough to go into straight panic mode yet because of the kind of the way the Cowboys play. All right, Jordan, final thoughts here. Where are you at, Joe? I want to hear where are you at on this. Well, the- yeah, I'm, I'm at a seven or an eight. I think they're going to struggle all year to get there, but you have to also take into account. Uh, you made a good point. We did see a lot of big, you know, big defensive line mixes out there. Jenkins at the end. A lot of Marcus Kuhn out there, who's not a pass rusher, obviously. So I agree. They were they were hell bent last night on trying to stop the run. Yeah, I really hate that Jenkins thing too. It's not it's not working for me. No, it's not, it's not even that good against the run. I, uh, I don't know. Maybe five years ago, it's a different story because he was a really good player then. But he's not that anymore. Yeah, his skill is uh, being an interior pass rusher. To me, that's his best skill at this point of his career, uh, and that's what they should utilize him as. I don't see any reason why you need to do that. Kerry Wynn and and Owo when he's on the field, and George Selby, they're good enough run defenders where you could put them at that defensive end spot on the edge. And I, don't, I just don't see the need to do that with Colin Jenkins. It doesn't seem like the, the right move to me. It's not, not working. No, I mean, it hasn't, and you haven't seen any results from it. Uh, we'll see yeah, what they see. He actually had one of the worst pro football football grades out of any uh, player on the, on the Giants. I think it was minus 4.4. And uh, you know, that's, minus, a pretty, that's a pretty significantly yeah. bad grade too. That's yeah, that's yeah it was bad. by by far the worst of anyone on the defense. Uh, no, actually, Ungo was worse, but uh, by far of any defensive lineman. All right, Jordan. Our final thoughts here before we um, we kind of move on and like the Giants will and start looking forward uh, to what will be week two at home against the Atlanta Falcons. For me, this is going to be a very interesting week, and I think a very you know you don't usually see this week two. I don't know if you call it a must-win, but this, this is a fascinating week around the Giants. After a heartbreaking loss, you think if they're going to do anything this season, they have to come home and win these next two games against Atlanta, against the Redskins next Thursday night. Um, they'll play the Falcons on a short week because Atlanta plays on Monday Night Football before coming here. Any uh, so chance I, they have of having a successful season, any chance, any, 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 they have to win this game. They cannot lose this game. Cannot lose this game in a short week to Atlanta at home in their home opener. Sorry. Just, any chance this team has of being good hinges on this game this week. Yeah, and especially because of what happened you know, Sunday night. It, it will linger. If they go to 0-2, you could see this thing after the last two years. Just It, it, could, it could be a really tough start to their year. Or, uh, you know, 
standpoint of the standings and a mental standpoint if they go 0-2. Yeah, but you. if you can't beat a mediocre Atlanta Falcons team, mediocre, not that good. Talent-wise, not great. They're not. They have. They have holes. They have. They have a lot of. They have some serious problems. Their defense isn't great. Their offensive line is still a disaster. They're moving guys around right before the season, you know. And they're playing on a short week, coming off Monday Night Football, and coming on the road. If you're half a team, you get you. You win this game. I mean, it's that simple. I like that. We'll end it right there. If you're half a team, you win this game. The state of the Giants right now after a 27-26 loss, 0-1. Falcons coming up next. This has been episode 23. Jordan, have a safe flight back. We'll catch you up soon. And, of course, we'll be reading you on NJ.com and, and uh, in the Star Ledger. Sounds good, Joe. We'll be back next week, hopefully, with something better to talk about. We'll hopefully. See. So this has been episode 23 of Talk is Cheap. Uh, for Jordan, I am Joe. Remember to follow us on Twitter, at Joe Gileo Sports, at Jordan, R-A-A-N-A-N, and at James Cratch as well who will be back with us next week and subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher to get Talk is Cheap uh, downloaded automatically every week on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good week, and we will talk to you next time on this on episode 24 of Talk is Cheap. See you next time.